Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 273. In this episode, we talk about reducing friction, marketing contact recommendations, custom quote templates, and deal and enrollment tips, plus ROI in your life. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm really well, Ian, and looking forward to hearing you talking about reducing friction. But before we do that, one way to reduce friction for our listeners is for many years now, we've pointed listeners to our SoundCloud, um, what do you call it, channel, I guess, to listen to the show. And that still works if you pull via RSS into a podcast feed uh, listener. But if you just go to SoundCloud to listen, I, I was actually alerted to this by one of our listeners. After a couple of minutes, it actually pops up, it stops playing, pops up a prompt and says, no, you must create an account if you want to keep listening. It's like, it's pretty brutal. So yeah, you can't listen to the episodes anonymously, I guess, on SoundCloud. You could create an account, I guess, but a lot of people don't want to do that. So from now on, we're actually pointing you to our YouTube channel, which um, we haven't put a lot of love into until recently, but we are growing it this year. But all the shows are there, audio only, and also video recording. So if you want to see what we look like, you can do that as well. But the audio only versions are there on YouTube. So the YouTube channel is probably the best place to subscribe, stay in touch with shows. But more on reducing friction. Ian, tell me about some of your experiences recently. So two experiences, Craig. I'm going to talk about a good one first. I was ordering some equipment from Apple recently and it said if I'd ordered it before 1 p.m., I could get it delivered in the three-hour window. And that could have been any of the day, but the cutoff was one o'clock because there were delivery windows, I think, 8 to 12, 12 to 2, and 2 to 4, essentially. And it cost an extra $15. And because I need it for work, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm happy to pay the $15 and I'll get it straight away instead of waiting two days. So I did. Now, I was pleasantly surprised that I ordered it a couple of minutes before one and about quarter past two, the products arrived at my door and I was like, wow, what a good experience. So that was the good one. Now, the not so good one was me trying to buy coffee from a local coffee roaster that I love and getting to the end to the checkout and realizing, oh, delivery says it's going to take me 11 business days. And I was like, what? I could just go down the road down to my local coffee store. I could even probably call them up and go and collect from them quicker than waiting 11 days. And we we don't live far from each other. So I kind of A, stopped and thought, hang on, I'm paying for shipping and it's taking 11 days. And so I stopped and I just aborted the transaction. And that was my other experience. And I was thinking, that was really hard. Like I had to stop and think, what am I doing here? And so I want to highlight to you in this point is the friction is actually not paying for the shipping. The friction is actually the delivery time that blocked me from continuing on. And so I want to ask listeners, is this something where you ask people why they don't buy from you? Is it because you're not providing a bit of information? So I know for a fact, I followed up with somebody that we were talking to and what they came back to me and said, oh, we were a little bit unclear about how it works because we're kind of offering something different to what other people are offering. A bit like HubSpot coaching, that's what I was offering. And, and I don't think they really understood how it worked. So it made me understand I need to be really clear with what that looks like to a person because they can't visualize it. And this that's just one of those things. So I want to encourage people, have a think this week, even ask people that you're working for 
what are the things that cause you frustration or what kind of stops and makes you think, why am I doing this? Just so you can get and improve your process. I think that's such a good point. And it's going to be a theme of today's show, talking about efficiency and reducing friction. Because part of marketing is getting traffic and contacts, but then actually part of marketing is working out why people don't buy. And you don't want to just stop at the, oh, yeah, we've got the, the, the Facebook campaign running and that's all good. And then it's someone else's problem to work out, well, actually, why aren't the sales happening? That's actually marketing's role as well. So, yeah, really good point. All right. On to our quick shots of the week, Craig. And here are a few items that we have noticed recently. Uh, Marketing Hub Professional and above now has embedded attribution reporting within campaigns. A really great feature, all within the one spot. Yeah, we touched on that, I think, a couple of episodes ago, but it's continually improving, isn't it? That's right. Page meta descriptions are now available in the SEO recommendations tool. And again, you've got to have Marketing Hub Professional and above to see this. And the next one, Craig, is a bit of a good story. Well, the app marketplace continues to grow. Isn't this always the case? Incremental improvement. So there now are over a thousand integrations. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was 10, then 20, then we got the hundreds and now we're into thousands. Well done, HubSpot. That's right. And they've got, uh, I think for this milestone, they've put together like the top 30 integrations that are certified by HubSpot, I believe, and G2. So that's pretty good. So have a look. If you're in your portal, have a look at that list. It's very interesting. All right. And finally, CMS and Marketing Hub Enterprise now have user and team partitioning available on HubDB tables. Yeah. And I think we flagged this last episode, it was coming. So it's available. And we lamented at the time that you still can't partition social channels, but you know, we, we wait in hope, don't we, Ian? That's right. Sometime soon. But again, Craig, I guess this is the question, right? What is the importance in the grand scale of things of Mm. what is providing value to people? And that's essentially maybe something we're not fully aware of, but something that HubSpot is aware of. So well worth taking that into mind. All right, on to our marketing feature of the week. And we're going to talk about the benefits of marketing contacts. And we've discussed this before on the show many a time. So if you're not familiar with the concept, here's a quick refresher, right? I'm going to go through and then, Craig, you can carry on. You can mark a contact as marketing or non-marketing HubSpot. That's the first thing, all right? You can have a million non-marketing contacts in your portal and not be charged any extra. You only get charged for marketing contract contacts. So what makes up a marketing contact, right? First one, emailing them. So marketing emails, they're part of workflows and campaigns. And the second one is adding them to audiences that are synced into platforms like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn for advertising purposes. And so the last part, you're going to complete now, Craig. Yeah, well, that last part, that functionality around emailing, and we're talking about marketing emails here. You can still do one-on-one emails with um, non-marketing contacts, but marketing contacts can get those marketing emails from, say, uh, workflows, automation emails, or newsletter campaign, things like that. Now, that's actually a lifesaver at times. We experienced that this week. We were importing, I think it was just under 20,000 contacts into a portal. This is a massive portal. So 20,000 is only a a small fraction of their overall contact size, but still tens of thousands of contacts, right? So they're importing, uh, we import them in. Now, we never set them as marketing contacts when we import contacts. And the reason, well... I don't think we'd actually done this by design, but we just 
as standard, we don't. And we always set marketing contacts separately. We like to think about that. Anyway, here's what happened. Imported them in. There was one workflow we found in the system that was triggered by some properties on an associated record being known. So that's always dangerous. And we, well, one lesson there, listeners, you should always be very careful about workflow triggers. And if they're just based on a particular property being known, then that's very dangerous. They normally need to be much more qualified to go into a trigger. Anyway, so this kicked off that workflow for 17,000 contacts. And of course, that goes through and a member of our team was absolutely (laughs) freaking out when they realized. But luckily, because none of the contacts had been set as marketing contacts, there was actually only about 100 that they actually got sent an email from that workflow because they had previously been in there and were actually marked as a marketing contact. So I think it went to 100 people, not 17,000. Anyway, so that's a lesson. By the way, folks, we make mistakes. You will make mistakes. As much preparation as you put into, there's always you know areas, vectors for mistakes. However, I want to keep them at a minimum. So we've got three recommendations around marketing contacts and how they can save you. So first of all, that first one I hope is self-evident. Never set contacts as marketing contacts when you're importing. Always put that in a separate process and be very careful. We actually like to do it manually. We like to actually put them into lists. We'll have a list called to be set as marketing contacts. And then we like to review the criteria just to be careful because then when you do set it, you can actually check whether that list triggers a workflow. That's the first thing. The second thing is be careful in workflows setting contacts as as marketing contacts. So you can actually have a workflow action. Going through a workflow, it can actually set a a contact to be a marketing contact. Now, that can be useful in um, some cases. For example, certain set of engagement criteria, they're around around the site, visiting things. Uh, They might not have been a marketing contact yet. And you go, okay, well, they're qualified for getting an email nurture. I will now set them as marketing. Be careful. Very powerful with great power, you know, great responsibility. And then thirdly, and this is probably the main one, be very careful around permissions, who you actually give on your team or as users in your portal that can actually set contacts to be marketing contacts. Now, I've got a screenshot in there. You can actually turn that off. And we turn that off for most users, actually in our own agency and also for clients. Most users cannot set contacts to be marketing contacts unless they fully understand the ramifications. Because, and we've been very close to having this happen one time, we're working with a client. I'll just, this is actually real, a real life story. Working with a client, they had another agency that managed their Google ads. And that person wanted to create a remarketing audience. And we're like, oh, great. Oh, yeah, we can create that in HubSpot. Yeah, here's the remarketing audience. Oh, we want to add a whole bunch of more of those. And he just said, oh, so we, can we set all these contacts so that I can sync them up to Google ads? So I think it was, you know, 10,000 contacts or something like that. One of our team, had they not known better, might have said, oh, yeah, just turn it on. But luckily we're like, no, don't. But if that other agency or people at that client, that company had, didn't know better, they'd go, oh, yeah, we'll just turn them on. Suddenly 10,000 contacts would have been set as marketing contacts, billing increased, probably a bit of sticker shock for the client. So look, there are warnings. HubSpot does give you warnings that it will increase tiers and costs and things like that, but very easy to do. Someone that might not realize that uh, could accidentally trigger a massive increase in their monthly bill. So that's the third thing. Just control that very carefully in the user permission. So there you go. Three recommendations with marketing contacts. Very good ones too, Craig. (laughs) 
because I had the same thing this week with someone in sales saying, oh, why can't I set these as marketing contacts? And then we explained. So now they're aware of the process. And so now we're actually going to give them access to do it. But now they understand the implications of it. So it's a good, good thing to do across the team and across your customers to understand the implications of marketing contacts. All right, onto HubSpot sales feature of the week and custom quote templates. Now, here's something we've been talking about for a while and HubSpot is rolling out these improved custom quote template functionality over the past few months. So you need to have a sales pro license or enterprise and it's available part of a public beta at the minute. So sometimes you might find it, you might not find it, but it is rolling out. Basically, the summary is that the quote template uh, has a similar experience to the drag and drop. So if you're familiar with editing emails and pages, it's it's much like that. And although, funnily enough, the quote editor isn't actually drag and drop, you can move modules around, but you can edit them in the same way you can edit to emails and pages. So a few simple changes you can easily make is like changing logos, so create you can separate create templates for different brands and you'll see in the screenshots we've got uh, one for HubShots, which Craig's runs out of his portal and Zen as well. And then you can edit the line item layout because you might not want to include SKUs or you might want to add something else that's a part of line items that's not appearing. So removing or adding as much as you need is a great bit of functionality right here. Yeah, they've come a long way. It's a much better experience. Um, There's also global settings and you can actually create other templates in the design builder. But previously when they were rolling this out, I think a year or so ago, you actually had to do everything in the design builder, which was just too much for some people. Well, for most people really. So now this is a much better experience. To your point that you can't move modules around, it's kind of weird that you can't, but you can actually go into the underlying in design manager and do that if you really wanted. It probably is okay just to keep this layout, but you know sometimes people want to move stuff around. For example, I would prefer the comment box to be underneath the table of line items. Right. Look, that's a minor quibble. Overall, I think it's on the right path. It is a beta. It's improving. Uh, it also means because it's a beta that it might change. So don't invest too much into it until it's fully uh, released. But look, it's really good. It's just getting much better, much better. Absolutely. All right, on to HubSpot Service Feature of the Week. And this is a follow-up from our forms versus surveys. So listeners, I'll take a step back. In the previous episode, we talked about sending an email, a marketing email to people that have, I guess, engaged with, with us, but maybe they have got stuck somewhere or we've lost contact with them. Maybe they didn't get back to us. So the email was a very simple email saying, hey, we spoke once a little while ago. Just want to know... And it's really simple. One, uh, do you need more time to do something? Are you still deciding? Have you done what you're supposed to do? I think in this case, it was a builder. So have you actually bought or built a house? And the fourth one is you're not interested any longer. So you want to get them unsubscribed. So what we did was we created one of those actually pointed to a survey. Now in doing that, and I was talking to you because we're ready to roll it out. We're thinking, is that a good idea? Because all it had was one question and I've given an example in here is when we should and shouldn't use it. Now, in this instance, we probably should not have used the survey. We should have used a form because it gives us the ability to do progressive and conditional form fields. Plus, it gives us the ability to remarket to that person if need be or add them to a remarketing list because we can track that because it's on our domain. Now, if you're using a survey, it's not on our domain. It's on HubSpot domain. 
And I guess the the pro of it is you can launch it quickly. You want to use the survey reporting and you want to include different kinds of questions. You want to include the smiley faces. You want to include some stars. You want to get get that feedback in different ways within the system. So this is where we need to consider what works best for your situation. And I think it really comes down to is like, what are the kind of questions you're asking and what is your expected output from this and how do you intend on using it? So often with the ones we've done where we're saying you need more information or you need more time, they're relatively simple. So you'd probably want to use a form to collect that data because you can progressively ask them more questions related to that particular answer. And then you can use a workflow to set a reminder for the person in sales in two months time to follow them up or whatever it is. I think in the example, you'll see it's, I think, one, two and three months. So that's how we utilize that to keep people engaged, but also have the appropriate follow-up in place. I think that's right. One other thing I'll just add to that is if it's an evergreen question that's going going to go on for years, then it might be better to do the additional effort of having a form on your site. But if you've just got quick surveys that you're firing off every month and they're different and that, then having forms and pages on your site and maintaining all that, probably not good. This is when surveys are perfect. Just correct. fire them up and shoot them out. All right, on to our HubSpot Workflow Feature of the Week. All right, we're talking about unenrollment criteria on deal workflows. If you've used workflows before, especially contact workflows, which are probably the most popular, you're likely aware of unenrollment criteria. And you're probably also aware of goals that you can have on contact workflows. And they're kind of similar. A goal will drop someone out. The advantage of a goal over unenrollment is that goals show as a reporting item on the workflow. You can kind of see at which point people dropped out due to meeting the goal. Whereas unenrollment is just something that sits in the background and kicks people out of the workflow if they meet that unenrollment criteria. Now, there's many ways to skin a cat and I've just got an example. This is actually from our portal, although just full disclosure, listeners, if you look at the screenshots, I have actually edited this to make it simpler and more relatable in the screenshot. So it's it, hopefully it's a lot simpler so you can see it. But we use these in deal workflows when related to associated objects. Here's the advantage of unenrollment criteria. So what we'd like to do is we like to have the entry into a deal workflow, the trigger entry getting into the workflow as quite as simple as possible so people can very easily see how they get into the, the workflow rather than complex joins and this, maybe this, this kind of thing. It can be quite hard. How do they even get in if it's complex? We try to keep the entry as simple as possible. But then getting them out, that's where we add conditions to bump them out if it's, you know, that's where we try and take care of the complexity. Now, there's an overlap. You could combine some of the exclusions into the entry criteria so they'd never make it into the deal in the first place. Or whatever. I'm not going to go into that. That you know, that's case by case. But what I've got here in this example, deal workflow. In this particular case, they've reached a qualification stage, and so at that point, we do some internal processes, setting up, as such as setting up projects, some Google Drive folders, all kinds of things. So we have a little workflow that kicks off, and that sends to people in the team. Now. What's important is what's if they're already a client or already got another deal? They might not actually be a client, but they've already got another deal in place. They've probably been through this workflow with another deal and they've probably got that stuff. So we don't need to do that internal stuff. So this example I've got in the show notes just shows, oh, 
let's unenroll them. And the way we do it is we say, are there more associated deals? If that's greater than one, then yes, this contact has more than one deal. And we actually use, in our case, this is a little tip in case you want to use it, recent deal amount greater than $10. The reason we do that is because all new deals, we give it a notional $1 value so that the amount is always filled out, just $1. And that is a signal to anyone in the team if they're looking at a deal that we haven't actually confirmed budget or costing with the particular prospect with that deal. It's a $1 deal. So that's just an hour in process. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it's a tip. Where it's useful is we can actually use that to check later as an unenrollment. If a recent deal amount is greater than $10 or greater than $1 actually, we know that they've actually had a deal go through to a further qualification on pricing. So we drop them out of this deal workflow because it's already been set up. So I'm just giving you these tips. These are real world tips of some ways that you might use unenrollment. The functionality I'm sure you get. The great benefit of unenrollment criteria in deals is you can have associated objects. So not just deal properties, but contact properties associated with a deal. And further bonus, you can actually choose things like associated tickets. So another option you could do is if a contact comes to a particular stage where they're being onboarded, create a service pipeline, a ticket pipeline. You could actually check that as a way to get them out of a particular deal internal notification workflow. Am I, have I confused everyone yet by making it complex? See the screenshots in the show notes and it all makes sense. The whole takeaway that I want people to get from this is that unenrollment criteria on deals are particularly powerful. They can be have multiple criteria and they can be across multiple associated objects. So a lot of power there allows you to keep the entry criteria simple, take care of other areas to get them out of the workflow as part of unenrollment. And if you haven't signed up for the show notes, you should because you will be able to follow through and there are some great screenshots so it makes more sense with what we're talking about. All right, on to our insight of the week, Craig. ROI in life. And I think we were discussing this. How we started the discussion was about saving time by having the right tools and processes, right? And so... Listeners, Craig and myself, we have both progressively over the over the years been upgrading our equipment to do things quicker and better. And that's really why we invest in those systems and processes. And we have tried to keep things similar. That's another thing we've done. We've kept things similar to near identical to reduce the complexity of our workflows. So when we're troubleshooting things, we can troubleshoot together because we have the same equipment, the same processes. Makes life so much easier. So really want to highlight two key areas here is one, better systems, and then better tools. And this is, we're talking about hardware and software. So I'm just going to tell you some of the things that we have used, and these are just a handful of things that we're doing. For example, recently we have upgraded our computers. So we're now using the latest M1 MacBook Pros. So things are so much faster. The cameras are better. The sound is so much better. We just get things done quicker because we can, we've got better better processes. We've just recently updated our web cameras, so our webcams. So if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and have a look at this episode because we've actually both got new cameras and we're using the Luminar webcam. And it says it's the world's first AI powered webcam. And it's been really interesting because like anything, it's constantly being updated. It's a bit like HubSpot. <laughs> There's constantly software revisions, but 
to date, it's actually been a really good experience, has it not, Craig? It's been great. And it's just so good that someone's managed to get artificial intelligence associated with a webcam. That's right. Next, there'll be something like blockchain-powered webcam, you know, to get all the buzzwords in there. But look, they're great. It's, It's really good. That's right. The next one is microphones. So we've upgraded, you've probably seen over the years, we've upgraded our microphones and we upgrade to Rode microphones. And we have different kinds of Rode microphones. If you watch the video, you'll see us using one that we specifically use when we're recording the podcast. We have other ones that are lapel mics or video mics that we use while we're recording uh, face to video and so on. So we use different mics for different purposes, but really great. And I love it that it's an Australian product. So well done to Rode. Next thing is our mobile phones. So we're constantly on our phones. It gives us connectivity. It gives us greater speed. So I know, Craig, you resisted upgrading for a long time. And I remember when you upgraded your phone, you went, wow, this is so quick. That whole thing made a massive difference to you because of the speed of getting things done, the speed. And I remember you saying, wow, everything loads so quickly. You save so much time. So that was just one instance. Another thing we've got to make our lives more healthier and better is we both have standing desks. So I've had one for a while. Craig has got some recently and they make a big difference to our daily work and our health and well-being. Lighting, we use Elgato lights. So again, these lights, we are able to control them from our app on our computers, on our on our phones, which is fantastic. It's connected. We can adjust the temperature. We can adjust the intensity. And it just works. It just works really well. The quality is the thing that sets it apart. And finally, the last two things is HubSpot. Just the things of using templates, task cues, sequences, snippets, speeding up our response to people makes a massive difference. And then finally, another app that we've used consistently is Loom because we can communicate better with our clients and our team using that. So there are just some of the things. And the more time that we spend on these systems, processes, and equipment, we get back time and that's our return on investment. And I just want to highlight to people, it's like, I was trying to find some stats about the amount of time people spend waiting around for computers to load or things being super slow, right? Like I remember training somebody and you could have almost gone and made yourself a cup of tea and come back by the time the thing loaded or they got everything up and running or start restart the computer. I'm like, how much time is this wasting? And people often forget. They think, oh, it's not much. I can go do something else. But really, it's. I think you've taught me this, Craig. It's the interruption of your workflow and being really precise. So listeners, one thing we've done this year, and Craig alerted me to this, was, hey, let's do all HubSpot coaching on Mondays and Thursdays. Let's keep it so we can, we're providing value, but we know that on those days, that's our core focus for the week. And that's, I think, made a massive difference. So thank you to you for helping me along the path and kind of inspired me to do this shot. I think this was a really good insight of the week. And I, when I was reading through your notes, I thought, yeah, that's really good. The point I'd make to listeners so that it doesn't just sound like, oh, wow, you just have a lot of money to spend on toys. And I think, well, not that I really want to talk about each of our financial situations, but I think listeners probably know I'm very careful with spending. And I'll just give you an example. We, we drive a car, I think it's 22 years old now, because I just don't want to spend money on a new car because we hardly ever drive. Spending money on a car does not save me time. Spending money on a new computer saves me a lot of time. So I'm very careful about where I spend money. 
And your point at the end of this is, yeah, it's actually all about saving time. The older I get, and my wife and I are very uh, aligned on this, we do happily spend money to save time. And that's around efficiency, really. Efficiency, in our case, uh, reducing wasted time. And that's why at the start of this episode, when you talked about spending a bit of money to get something to deliver to you in an hour, other people would say, oh, that's a waste of $15. I can just walk down to the shop and get it myself and save $15. Well, if that takes you an hour, you've essentially said my time is worth $15 an hour. So you weigh that up. Now, we've only got so many hours in the day where we're actually productive so you can't you can't expect to spend money and get 24 hours of productivity. So there you know there's there's limits to this, but be very very thoughtful about how you use time. How does this relate to HubSpot? Well, as listeners probably know, we've got enterprise HubSpot in our firm because we've used it not only because we want to be experts for our clients, but also we use it within our agency. We're extremely efficient. We focus a lot on processes and that comes at a cost. HubSpot Enterprise is expensive. It's very expensive. Yet I've weighed that up and the time it saves, even at our small size, is worth it. And as we scale to more people, it's actually going to compound. There'll be asymmetric returns on that. So yeah, ROI in life, all these items you mentioned, and especially with software and tools and platforms that give you time. That's the focus. And coming back to the how we use HubSpot, is one thing that is interesting, Craig, is that we didn't start on HubSpot Enterprise. No. Neither of us did. We were on professional. And progressively over time, as we have grown and become better and working better, we've upgraded our products. We've upgraded to marketing enterprise. We've upgraded to sales enterprise. We've got CMS. We try out all the new things and we upgrade when appropriate, right? So like you said, is is what we have now is got future growth potential, but also gets us utilizing the efficiencies that are available to us through that platform. So I think that's a big thing. Don't think you have to start an enterprise. We have both worked our way up there as you grow. And, you know, there are some people that we talk to that, you know, are ready for enterprise, but usually it's a, it's a progressive step towards that place. So listeners don't think, oh, I can't do that. or it's too hard or wow, this, is, this seems like a big step. It's like, take those little steps, do the little things, make those incremental improvements and you will get there. All right, onto our gotcha of the week, Craig. Just a quick recap on attribution and cookie consent pop-ups. Last episode, we talked about a client, a large retail client where cookie consent pop-ups were causing all kinds of attribution with their Facebook traffic. This week, we've had another client where actually they're quite a small client, but they're spending money on Google ads and their Google ads clicks are not matching their Google analytics uh, reporting. And so a lot of investigation. Finally, oh, they've actually got a Wix site. Don't don't ask me. They've got a Wix site, but it had cookie consent pop-ups that were showing. And that because the pop-ups were there, um, people weren't clicking to consent. And so Google Analytics was not recording. So that was the discrepancy. So the big big impact on attribution, one side, Google Ads is saying, yeah, sending you all these clicks. On the other side, Analytics is saying, no, you're not. So very confusing for the client. Another example of cookie consent being such a problem for no benefit. Anyway, they're based in Australia. So another case of, yep, turn them off. You don't need to show them in Australia. Turn them off, problem solved. So just another reminder on attribution and cookie consent pop-ups there. 
Now, I do have a link when you put this in, Craig. I went actually searching the Wix documentation because we have another client using HubSpot and uses Wix, not with this problem, but we've had problems with forms and stuff. But it was really interesting. I discovered an article that talked about the pros and cons of displaying cookie banners on your Wix site. Now, it was well done, but really it does not mention anything about attribution. And this is what we want to highlight to people is that no one really looks at attribution until it comes to when people are trying to understand where their money is going, right? And so people do things or make choices along the way that is sometimes easy for them without understanding the end implications. And so we're, we're, we are together discovering this across multiple clients where people make choices along the way. And then we're now backtracking and trying to figure out why is this not working and why we're we not seeing these numbers coming through. And I would encourage you all, start with that end in mind, you know, where are we going? What do we need to see? And if we're spending money on paid paid channels, can we actually see that inside HubSpot? And mm. what's stopping that from being put into HubSpot? Well worth understanding that all the way. Okay, on to our thought of the week about risk management versus efficiency. And here's another good story. Yeah, look, I'm just going to quickly touch on it because I know we've come to time in the show, but the show notes, I go into this in more detail. Client, large enterprise client. We're actually in the middle of a migration from Marketo over to HubSpot Enterprise for them. One of the key things was getting a Salesforce connector in place because they've got Salesforce. We started those discussions back in late November, December. It's almost three months later and all we need to do is get the connector in place. And in fact, all we want is a one-way sync initially from Salesforce down to HubSpot. So it can sync down all the properties and create them in HubSpot. Anyway, months later, it's like a hot potato in, internally. People don't know what to do. We're like, well, we've sent you all the documentation. Do you want to chat about it? Whatever. No. Big risk management piece, you know, all change management committees, all kinds of things. Can't actually get a person to take ownership or make it happen. And so it's risk management gone mad in a way. Now, this is a billion dollar organization. So Salesforce is key to their business. I'm not saying, oh yeah, just turn it on and hope for the best. Of course, it needs consideration and thoughtful integration preparation. However, it's gone to the extreme where now they're in a position, they've actually outsourced it to an external Salesforce consulting company to look at at enormous expense. I don't know how long and, and no time frame even mentioned yet. And so now we've got a situation where risk management is actually causing hurdles to the business because we can't actually sync contacts back from HubSpot and let them, their sales team know about new leads. So on one side, you've got, look, we've got to protect our Salesforce because, you know, they're, maybe they've been burnt before and a connection mucked up stuff in Salesforce. Sure, got to protect that. That's risk management. But on the other side, it's like it's gone so extreme now that actually Salesforce are not getting leads. They're missing out on opportunities. And so my point is, here's the key takeaway. Why do I mention this? Because are there sales and marketing processes that you currently have that need to be reviewed so that they don't become hurdles later? Integration is fundamental to businesses these days. So on the sales and marketing teams, if you're in charge of that, you need to be thinking about that now. You need to be thinking about integration points. You need to be thinking about the future and getting processes in place now to accommodate that and lubricate it for efficiency later. I'll leave it there. Some more notes in the show notes if you're interested. And Craig, you've put a very, um, a very interesting image, oh, which yeah. kind of I, I explains the situation. Yeah, just perfect, isn't it? 
It's uh, well worth having a look. All right, finally, on to our quote of the week, listeners. And you probably know I love Formula One. And I discovered a book that a person called Adrian Newey, who is, um, he's probably the, I would say in our lifetime, he's the world's greatest Formula One designer. And so the book is How to Build a Car, not that I'm building one, and says the autobiography of a world's greatest Formula One designer. I'm going to read out the quote, and then I'm going to explain to you why I think this this fits with the show. So it says, people ask me if I feel guilty about Ayrton. And this is talking about Ayrton Senna. Uh, I do. I was one of the senior officers in the team that designed a car which a great man was killed. Regardless of whether that steering column caused the accident or not, there is no escaping the fact that it was a bad piece of design and should never have been allowed to get on the car. The system that Patrick and I had in place was inadequate. That cannot be disputed. Our lack of safety checking system within the design office was exposed. And in light of this show, I wanted to say that what we're doing in HubSpot is not life and death, but it clearly shows here, you know, a bad piece of design could have been a workflow, could have been the entry criteria into the workflow, was not properly tested. You know, the systems that we go through to test and verify things, we're not using the testing capabilities are inside HubSpot to test the entry criteria and workflows. We're not testing to see how a page looks when it's on a mobile device. It does become an issue, right? And so how do we have these safety checking systems in place when we are doing our work? And in this case, it's a car, but for us as business owners, marketers, salespeople, what are we doing to have that safety checking system in place? And I think just thinking out aloud, one of the really good things out of this show has been, I think I, I would say, Craig, you are like my safety checking device on certain things because we have the ability and the forum to talk to one another openly and ask things off each other that sometimes are hard. I remember a few years ago when I was struggling with certain things, I remember somebody on my team saying, who are the people you trust and can you go and ask them for help? And I didn't want to at the time, but I was really surprised by the support and the guidance I got from those people and you being one of them, Craig. So I just want to thank you. You might not be aware, but that has really helped me. And I would call that my safety checking system with things that I'm doing. So I just want to encourage people, what are the systems or the safety checking systems you have in place? So this could be in your business, could be in your life, could be with your friends, could be with your family, but are you actually aware of it? And are you actually having something in place to make yourself better and make sure things don't happen when they shouldn't happen. Really good point. You know, not wanting to make light of it, but it's almost like you could say no greater trust as one person have in another that they trust them with their HubSpot workflows. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, you can listen to us on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like. And again, if you do want help, feel free to reach out to us, subscribe to the weekly newsletter and reply to Craig and we can fit you in. And there is also HubSpot Coaching and we're launching a new page very shortly. So keep a look out for that. And finally, I want to plug that at the end of the show notes is a sales and marketing scorecard that we have developed. And I encourage you to actually take that and get an understanding of where you are with your HubSpot because it might highlight a few things to you. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. 
Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips, and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.